7, Revelation 7. I'll recap some of the things that we did last week, but I will uh, go through it slow for your opportunity to uh, say, wait, that didn't make sense, because I know this is a getting a little bit trickier. So uh, things that uh, may be a struggle or you don't understand, please feel free to throw your hand in the air and say, I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, what you see as uh, Revelation 7 opens is that we've come out of chapter 6, which showed that it's time for uh, final judgments to be unveiled against a particular nation. We don't have directly specified yet what that nation is. I think we've been given clues. We're going to be given even more clues along the way as we go through these chapters, and it'll become obvious at chapter 11, but we're not there yet. So he's unveiling these these pictures for us. But before we can have the judgments come, we're told in these first uh, couple of verses that you have these Four angels, verse 1, standing at the four corners of the earth, and they are holding back the four winds so that no wind may blow over the earth. So there's a restraining of these judgments. Judgments are about to unfold, but it's not going to happen yet. What has to happen first? People of God need to be sealed. In fact, that's told to you there in in verse 2 and in verse 3. Uh, so we have this loud voice being given to uh, the, the four angels. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God. I, I'll, I'll state this. Here's your, here's your easy lob. Verse 3 says we have to seal the servants of God, right? So that means every picture you're going to look at from verse 4 to the end of the chapter have to be pictures of who? Makes life easy. <laughs> right. You're going to see the 144,000 in a great multitude. And you're going to get all these images. But who must we be looking at? The servants of God. Because the servants of God have to first be sealed before the judgments come. So that, that should just be the, the, the straight, smooth line right here of who we're, who we're going to look at. So... We also talked about what the sealing would represent because of how the seals are used later in the book. We're going to observe that we're talking about ownership and identity. We're asking the question, who truly belongs as servants of God? Who really belong to him? Who serve him? When you get to chapters 13 and 14, that'll be contrasted to those who have been given marks or seals of the beast. And so you're getting a description and a contrast between here's who are the servants of God and here's what they do. Here are the servants of the beast and here's what they do. So we're setting up out out of the gate here in chapter 7. We're going to identify who the people of God are. You put Revelation 14 there. So the 144,000 are mentioned there. They're human, absolutely human. Well, that goes back to symbolism, right? So, it's, uh, it, it, as a side point, any group which there are religious groups who like to take the hundred and forty-four thousand as an actual literal number of the only people who are in heaven, 
have a little bit of a problem because chapter 14 identifies them as, as virgin men who have not been defiled by women. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe it's a symbol. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, it's a, it's a symbol and not a, an actual literal counting of people, which if you read chapter 7 carefully, you know that because can you count the great multitude? No. No. So we aren't looking at actual numbers. He tells us that in chapter 7. That's not the case, Debbie. And according to this, they would all have to be from the tribes, they must be Jewish virgin men. That's exactly right. <laughs> not been defiled by women. Uh, and that, of course, would go antithetical to everything in regards to the New Testament and the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile, uh, all of those things. It just doesn't, doesn't work. And that's why I drew your attention to verse 3. Who are being sealed? All the servants of God. <laughs> that's who we're looking at are all the servants of God. So, the, the, the whole picture, I think, is intended to do this. So when we're sealing all the people of God, are the Jewish people who are belonging to, to God, are they included? And thus you have from verse 4 through verse 8, a numbering of tribes, 12,000 from each tribe, large, round, complete numbers to indicate there's not a single person who is of true Israel that is excluded. The Jewish people of God, true people of God, are included. Now, that, as was brought out last week, that's in contrast to what we saw in chapters 2 and 3, where we have a synagogue of Satan, those who are claiming to be the people of God, claiming to be servants of God. Remember, Jesus says, but they are not they're synagogues of Satan, and they do not belong to him. So the true people of God who have that Jewish origin, who can trace their bloodline back to Abraham, they are included. Are they the only ones included? Now you go to verse 9. So you hear the counting. There's going to be the 144,000. Verse 9 tells us he turns and looks, and rather than seeing 144,000 that be, can be counted, you're told in verse 9 that we have people from every tribe and peoples and languages standing before the throne. So are the Gentile people included? Yes. So this is a complete numbering of the servants of God, which is what I told you verse 3 said. Verse 3 said, all the servants of God have to be identified and sealed, and this is including Gentiles, and this is including Jews of those who would belong in that ethnicity to the people of God. Every single one of them are included. All right, so up to verse 9. Are we okay? Yes, sir. 4 through 8 seems to be almost like a completed set, too. That set is complete. Yes. It's not being added to anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the language there should be. Yeah, it's like here, here's this group, and they're in, and they belong. Which is important back when we go back to the Judaizing teachers and others are having to deal with. That's done. That's done. Essentially, and then a, I, I kind of imagine that that's the saran wrap set. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't take it from or add it to it anymore. Yeah, it's complete. They're in. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Good. I, that's a good way to look at it. So here we've got that particular group, and we've got. The Gentiles as a particular group, all of them being combined together, and uh, they become what verse 9 describes as 
what no one could number. Now, please notice, by the way, in verse 9, where are these people? They are before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. So does this give you an indication before it tells us later who they exactly are? Is it giving you a clue since they're before the throne of God, what's happened to them? They're not alive. They're with God. Uh, That's going to be more fully brought out in verse 14. But you're already getting a sense of that, that they're not standing on the earth wearing white robes. They're in heaven with white robes. So you're getting that that imagery uh, given, given as well. They're standing before the throne for the Lamb. Questions about that? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and, and verse 9 is supposed to carry victory imagery. They're wearing white robes. They have palm branches in their hands. They're around the, the throne, and they're before the Lamb. Uh, they, they are already being identified as belonging to God, safe with God, and that's going to be further explored in verses 15 through 17, but we're not there yet quite. Uh, Debbie. Nope. No, you're talking about here you are standing in the first century. Okay. And you're getting a picture of, all right, massive judgment is coming. That's what chapter six said, right? Some, somebody's getting wiped out, lights out, sun's turned to blood and moon's, moon's darkened and stars are falling from the sky and the sky's rolled up like a scroll, right? So somebody's done for is, is what chapter six said. So that was still, as you're staying in the first century to this crew, something that's about to happen. But before that event is going to happen, God is identifying, here are the people who belong to me. And that's why, let me, let me back up. Very first line. In Ezekiel 9, you see the same thing. In Ezekiel 9, you have a, a prophecy, Babylon's going to destroy Jerusalem. But before that happens, God's going to mark who belongs to him. Okay, so that's not an end time idea. It's something in the present saying, this, this judgment's going to take place, but I'm identifying who belongs to me so that though they die, though they suffer and go through these difficulties, they're still shown as belonging to God. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's more of a visual that you're talking about. All right, so is every here is this box of everyone who is going to belong to God. Is everybody who uh, is of a Jewish background that comes to Christ, are they included? Yes. And are those who are Gentiles who have come to Christ, are they included? Yes. So it's not, I don't think the intent is to say, so pick your number. 258 million. No, but the complete of who belongs as that Israel of God is included. And for and forever forward as well, because you'll notice it's hard because we're having I'm trying to stay linear as best I can. But but 
Notice in verse 14, who are these? Okay. There is some event that's happening that they're depicted as belonging to the people of God and have come through it. Now that fits why I had Ezekiel 9 on the screen. So Ezekiel 9 was, here are the people of God, and though Jerusalem is going to fall and the city is going to be destroyed and the nation falls, there is this people of God that God is with and is secure with and is sealed. They belong to him, and they're going to go through that, that difficulty. Same thing here, which go back to chapter 6, fifth seal. What did we see in the fifth seal? You're going to get these seals memorized by the time we're done. Souls under the altar. What's happened to them? They've been killed. Why? For the word of God. All right. What are they asking? When are you going to bring judgment? What's the answer? We're not done yet. More tribulation, persecution, problems, and judgment to come. So this is being visualized here. Who's standing before the throne? The people have already gone through this. Are there more that are going to go through this? Yes, there are. But no, you're fine. Here's what I keep telling you. If you have a question, there are 20 other people that do too. (laughs) Absolutely. So don't think of this as looking at the end time, but looking here at this moment and saying, those who belong that set number, they're in. And there's going to be more who are going to also belong into into that idea. Mike? Rhetorical question, but it helps me. Okay, well then you answered it for yourself. <laughs> it helps me compartmentalize. Define tribulation. Can you have multiple tribulation? Okay, I'm not there yet. 24, uh, Matthew 24, 16. Yeah. Those who are in Judea, each of the mountains, yeah. in all this context, and then in 34, for surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away. Yeah, you're ahead of me. Yep. Not yet. I can't talk to that yet. Verse four. That's verse fourteen. I'm not there yet. But yes, you're right. Hold on. <laughs> I think what um, Evan was more referring to with this completeness of the Jews is more that the completeness of that dispensation of the people saved under Judaism versus under Christ. Now that those were the people of the what we call the Old Testament now that were saved, yep. and that's why that's a completely done, because we're no longer under that law. Yep. So that all the people that were saved under that versus this um, that now is opened up to the Gentiles. I think that would be a better way than just saying, well, now Jews can't be saved. Well, obviously they can't. Right. Obviously they can. Okay. Charlotte? Not the people that were baptized at Pentecost, but the Old Testament people that were saved under the Old no, no, she was clarifying Evan's point about you're talking about before Christ, you have all kinds of people who are saved by faith as Jews, right? Okay, that's that becomes a, a set number that no longer can be altered, right? Symbolically, right, exactly. Because once Christ comes, they're going to all go through Christ now, right? We're just talking generally symbolically of all. Go back to verse three. Who are the who are the hundred forty four thousand? All the servants of God. 
including Jewish servants of God and Gentile servants of God. So it doesn't matter whether they were faithful in the Old Testament or the New Testament there. That's that group. Well, that's the way it's always been, right? I'm not following you. I'm not following you. <laughs> Are, are the saved do, do the saved include those under the Old Testament? Okay, then we're then we're good. That, that, well, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Verse ten. What are these people saying? Here's our big crowd. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is an important thing they're declaring. All right, so let's talk about that for a minute because we need to figure out why that's so important. All right. God is saying, judgment's coming, but before that judgment happens, I need my servants marked. That's what those first four verses are saying. But then we look at verse 9. Where are they? They're with God. So how can you say in verse 10, here's what they're saying. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. What are they referring to? What does that mean? What are they proclaiming? Debbie? Are they just celebrating the fact that they're there and they've been saved? Absolutely. What they're, them being there says what? That they were saved on earth. They were saved on earth and they're, and they're victorious. And did it matter what happened to them while on the earth? No. That's a really big deal, right? That's a really big deal. It doesn't matter what happened to you on the earth. Here they are pictured as before the throne of God. And they're saying... Salvation belongs to our God. Though we have been killed for the cause of Christ, that's okay. Because look where we are. We got an upgrade. Things are better. We are with him. We are secure and safe. And so there is a proclamation of we put our trust in God and we have overcome. What did Revelation 2 and 3 say to the seven churches of Asia? To those who are faithful unto death, I will give Whatever that picture was, as overcomers. Jen? I think it's important, especially in time like this, to stop and think of who this was written to. Mm-hmm. Because we sitting here in this air conditioned building with absolutely no threat of right. any kind of persecution being here, right. it, it, it's all very symbol- symbolical yeah. and symbolic <coughs> all that. To them, half this room was going to be right. dead when they left here. Yeah. But why was I going to come back the next week? What happened to those people? Was it worth it? This was telling them, yes, Yes. they're okay. You're going to be okay. Keep going. Exactly. And so I think there's a lot. They say lost in translation. I think you've got to put your mind. You do. Because you have to visualize chapter 6 and 7. Chapter 6 is saying a nation is going to be destroyed. It also says... The people of God, many of them have already died for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the response to their question was, more Christians are going to die. Are you a little concerned by that if you're living at that time? Yeah. 
Not only are you saying we're going to get killed for the cause of Christ, you're saying a nation's going to get wrecked in the process. Lights out. Sun will be darkened. Moon will not give its light. Stars falling from the sky. Are the people of God going to be okay? Yes, they will. Because the concern is not physical life, but rather you're secure with God. And so you turn and look, and what do you see? The great multitude, and where are they? They're not in punishment. They're not in pain. They're not suffering. They are with God. And that's, I think, what the visual is trying to do, is say, hold on, before this all implodes with judgment, I want my people of God to know they're okay. They're going to be fine as they go through what he's going to call this great tribulation that's going to happen. Kathy? So this is symbolic. Are they physically, truly living? It is symbolic. And I don't, I don't, here's, I would say this. I don't believe that when they died, they literally were given a robe, literally given palm fronds, literally... Picture. What's the picture trying to say? You're comforted and victorious with God, right? And we have to be careful about those kinds of things, right? Because we sometimes do that. Like, you know, when Jesus says, you know, eternal punishments where the worm doesn't die and the fire's not quenched, do you think there's really worms there? It's a spiritual thing. (laughs) So trying to communicate an idea of how bad things are. Well, this is communicating how comforting things are. They've been killed for the cause of Christ, and that's okay. And I think Jenny's right. That's hard for us to get our minds around because we've never experienced that. But put your life on the line. Is it okay that they kill me? Yes, it's okay. That's fine. You're going to be with God. You're going to be enjoying victory by making this stand because the contrast is going to come in chapters 13 through 16 that there are people who are not making that stand, who are worshiping the beast rather than worshiping God. And it would be so tempting to worship the beast and preserve your life. And he's saying, don't do that. The people who are with me are the ones who die for the cause of Christ and for this testimony. They're secure. Those who worship the beast are not secure. All right. We good? So far, so good? More? Less? All right. Notice verses 11 and 12. What that does is generates more worship. That just generates more worship. Look at what they say. Blessing and glory and honor and thanksgiving and wisdom and power and might belongs to our God. Because God has followed through with what he said. He has completely followed through. The, The taking of your life for his sake is not your end. It's your beginning. So praise is, is given. You have taken your people who were faithful to you and have come through this tribulation and they are now victorious and elevated, which, by the way, think about that's, that's tracking with Christ, right? 
suffered and rejected and scorned and mocked and mistreated and killed. And what does God do? Highly exalt, right? Okay, Christian, you are mistreated and scorned and mocked and killed. Where are they? Highly exalted. So that's what chapter seven. So now everyone in in heaven is going, God's amazing. (laughs) Praise and blessing and honor and glory. They're just just praising God over all of that. Okay. All right. Now let's, uh, let's, let's tackle verses 13 through 17. First question that happens, who are these? Now we could reverse back to verse three. Who are these? They're the servants of God. Okay, so we know that they're the servants of God, but there's a little bit more particular detail to who we are looking at. You will notice that verse 14 begins with the first statement. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. This is where Mike was at. These are the ones that are coming out of the great tribulation. This is not that common of a term. And I think that's what's somewhat interesting about this is we did read this earlier in in the seven churches of Asia. There was a warning that was given. You're going to have tribulation for 10 days. Remember, I said, do you really think it's 10 days? I don't think so. (laughs) I think that's symbolic. You know, this is going to be something big, but it's going to be a definite period of time that you're going to go through. So you're going to go through this great, great tribulation. Uh, Chapter two, verse 22, those who are committing adultery with this Jezebel. Remember that Jezebel imagery in chapter two there. Those who had committed adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Interesting. So another nondescript kind of judgment imagery that's given and what mike was bringing out is the only other place where you find that term in the new testament is in matthew 24 interesting i'm just going to feed you breadcrumbs along the way with all of this because it's not till chapter 11 that becomes you know eye-opening but it is interesting to notice that you have jesus talking about a coming great tribulation as well now, if you pick up the modern books and the Tim LaHaye books and all of that, they're going to say none of that's happened yet. But when you read Matthew 24, it says it was going to be within their generation, which is what Mike read for us. It was going to be during their days in that time, in that first century, they were going to experience something like this. And as I noted to you before, you know, the fall of the Roman Empire is still hundreds of years away. Something is more immediate. Something has to be within their lifetimes, within this generation. This is going to happen. And you already have these pictured as people who are already dying for this reason, right? Well, we're saying some to the altar. Already died for this. Answer, more are going to die for this. So something is already being experienced and more of it is going to happen and it's all put into this terminology of the of the great tribulation so uh, i don't have the space for for matthew 24 yet uh, but just put that in your in your mind blocks as well that matthew 24 uses the same the same terms here charlotte did this elder ask the question because he didn't know or did he ask the question to get a response oh absolutely to get a response right yeah yeah. I thought it was strange that he would be asking 
Yeah, it, there's always these pictures like this, and the Old Testament prophets do the same thing. Do you understand what you're seeing? No. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> and evidently, we have also not understood what we've seen, and we're glad for the answer that's being given to us here that is expressing us to us the, the, these details. So when you have this question, who are these? They're coming out of this great tribulation. So I want you to think about that. They've come out of the great tribulation. But what do we say had happened to them? Yeah. Okay. And that's what I was making point of when it says there in verse 14, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Are, are, are they Christians? Sure. Have they been baptized? Of course. But it's not saying that only. It's pushing harder at they've died. They've followed in the footsteps of Christ and their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb because they've died for the cause of Christ. That's what this whole visual is about. This judgment is happening and the people of God are going to be killed. That's what chapter 6 said. More until your brothers are killed for the cause of Christ. But then we're going to start talking about here in these final pictures. What does that mean, Muriel? Of course. Of course, yeah. Obviously, their faith is forward-looking as much as our faith is backward-looking. Is that everybody was saved by faith. Under the old covenant, you were saved by faith, looking forward to the coming of Christ and believing in what he would do inevitably. And for us, we look backward to what he did with faith about what he has accomplished for us. Debbie? I assume that this tribulation was when Rome Well, uh, so if you remember Matthew 24, do we have time for Matthew 24? I have 15 minutes. That'd be pretty, pretty bold. <laughs> Pull this in 15 minutes. How about a quick flyover? Matthew 24. It wouldn't hurt, by the way. I, I have preached on Matthew 24. It was a long time ago, and I'm not sure when this year I'm getting to Matthew 24. It is this year, though, so it's not in five years. It is this year. It's in my calendar. I can see it. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, we, since we're moving through Matthew on Sunday mornings, we'll get a chance uh, to, to talk about this. Um, but you have in Matthew 24... In verse 1, you have Jesus leaving the temple. And verse 1 says the disciples are pointing out uh, the buildings of the temple. You can imagine it was, it was a beautiful temple. From everything that's recorded for us in the first century about this temple that Herod had beautified, uh, the way the sun would rise upon it would make it just shine with all of its marble that was on the front of it. It was a, a beautiful 
structure. Uh, they seem to be t- having that discussion as they're talking about that. And to understand why they're doing that, I, I don't think you have the disciples going, hey, by the way, have you seen the buildings? Well, you know, how old is Jesus by now? He's in his 30s. Surely he's seen the temple. You know, this is, hey, by the way, did you notice how pretty this all is? It's not that. Chapter 23 was a long list of woes upon the city and leaders. And it ended with a lament, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have desired to bring you in like a hen tries to bring in her chicks, but you would not. And now chapter 24 opens and what are they going? Well, wait a minute. The temple. What's Jesus answer in verse two? It ain't surviving. It's going down. It will get so destroyed that even today, the only things that we have are not the temple. That wailing wall is a retaining wall that held the dirt up upon which was the temple mount upon which the temple stood. It got ripped by the Romans. Now, if you were talking to a Jewish audience and you just said, there goes the temple, what does that mean? Okay, but what does that mean for them? No worship? No God? No relationship? No atonement? No forgiveness? That, that represented everything. It's why Jesus has to spend three years walking around saying, I'm, I'm going to be your temple, folks. <laughs> destroy this temple. <laughs> this one's going down. You can try to destroy me, though. I'm coming right back. Three days, I'll raise it up. I'm going to be your temple. I'm going to be that place. I'm that representation. Well, the question that they then ask in verse 3 is obvious. When? When is that going to happen? And what are some warning signs that it's about to take place? That's, that's what that chapter is about. Is laying all of that out. They want to know what does that mean? What's, when's it going to happen? What are the signs? Matthew records also a, the coming of the end of the age. What age is going to be destroyed when the temple goes? Jewish, Jewish age. That's the end of that system. Israel cannot worship God properly, and friends still cannot, without that temple structure. That was the place where God's name was. That's the place where worship was. That's the place where everything was. Without that, that's the end of the system. That's the end of their age. That's, it's, it's done for and gone. And so Matthew 24 is all about describing. Here are the signs of what's going to happen. And here's why that's very important. In First Thessalonians 4 and 5, what are the signs of his final arrival at the end? We don't know. Thief in the night, right? So I can't then start reading Matthew 24 and go, 
okay, wars and rumors of wars and false messiahs and all that means it's the final. No, 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 no. That's a whole different. That's a whole different ball game there in Matthew twenty-four. He's talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the temple stones. That's what the context is there. Two different scenes going on there. People like to crisscross that all the time. It's, it's fun to listen. I listen to different things in preparation for these studies, and they'll be like, yeah, you know, the, when the uh, 90s and the Iraq war happened, that, those were signs of the end. There are no signs of the end. That's what the Bible says. You're not going to know. Thief in the night. Thieves don't leave signs. Thieves don't leave you a sign. Otherwise, they're really bad thieves. <laughs> thief in the night means you're not going to know. So anything that ever talks about giving you warning signs is not talking about final judgment. Can't be. And as Mike pointed out, you get right in the heart of Matthew 24 and it says, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Critical. Critical. Is that what's in view here? Strong possibility. Hasn't been confirmed to us in in these chapters yet. It hasn't been specific yet. But... It should be interesting to us that great tribulation is being described here. And Jesus, his own words in Matthew 24, it says it's going to be a great tribulation such that has never been nor will be. And the book of Revelation comes along and puts its finger on it and says the same thing. Now, to help, when we were in Revelation 5, we saw a scroll... And we said, where did that scroll come from that's been sealed up? Where have we seen that scroll before? Daniel. Daniel 12. Daniel wants to know the contents of the scroll. He's told, seal it up till the time of the end. Go your way. Going to be later. Twice told that. Chapter 12, verse 4. Chapter 12, verse 9. Seal it up till the time of the end. And do you remember what two things we said from Daniel's prophecies As you move into the first century, the arrival of Christ, what two things are in Daniel's prophecies that had not yet occurred? Destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Rome fall, right? We saw Daniel 9 as your shortcut. Sanctuary must be destroyed. And then the one who makes desolate will also be destroyed. Daniel 2, stone shattering the feet, which is the Roman Empire. So there's two things that still had to happen yet. So we're not crazy, at least, to see some of those visuals happening here, some connection points to to Matthew 24. But again, I want to observe, it's not solid yet. It will be, but not yet. Okay. Okay. Questions about that before I can get into these. I've got, now I've got six minutes and I want to get those last ones because I really want to start chapter eight next week. All right. This one's pr- pretty simple, though. Now you have a picture in verse 15. So verse 14 says, these are the ones who washed their robes and made them wine the blood of the lamb. Verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So where are they? With, with God, okay? So we're underscoring what we saw in verse 9. We're just, you know, 
with, with the question, who are these, everything we see here should just be further highlighting what we've already observed, that we've already figured out by looking at these pictures carefully. The rest of verse 15, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with, with his, his presence. Great picture there. Verse 16, they will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them or any scorching heat. So what's the image? They're, 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 they're perfected and protected. They're comforted. So you get a sense of they've suffered, but not anymore, right? Hunger, no more. Thirst, no more. Sun, no more. Striking on them. Scorching heat, no more. The pain and the suffering that they have endured, no more. They are being comforted. They are sheltered by God. So they are still with God, though they've died. They are comforted by God, though they've died. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of of living water. So, Are you separated from God? No, you are shepherded by God. You saw that in verse 9. You are at the throne of God and and, and before the Lamb. So you are right there with God even though you've died. And then here's the best picture of all for them in verse 17. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. So here's the every ounce and drop of suffering they've experienced is worth it. As God gives them comfort. For all of their afflictions and all of their sacrifice and all of their suffering and all of their pain, here is God taking care of them, still with God, shepherded by God, comforted by God, cared by God. Every picture you would want to a people who are being persecuted for the cause, you are being told the outcome before you're killed. It's like, here's God going, here's why you know you'll be okay. Here's what's going to happen to you. You give your life, here's what you're going to get. You're going to be before the throne of God. Well, that makes it a little bit easier to know what's going to happen. Isn't that why death is scary to most people? Because you don't know what that's like. Nobody's been able to tell you what those final seconds are like. No one knows. But here's what you do know. Here's where you're going to be. You're going to be all right. So you can walk through death just fine. Evan. I think it's really powerful when you juxtapose that with the fifth seal being open. Yeah. Because when the fifth seal is open, the scene is people in the grave yeah. asking, when will this? When will the retribution for this come? Right. When will this be? And they, they're given an answer that it will come. Yeah. But then the scene flips. It's almost like you flip the coin. Yeah. You see them in the grave, and now in the next chapter you see them where they really are. Absolutely. Right. And that's why it's so important. Remember, this is visions that John is seeing. Exactly. Yes. I think that's a good good picture. When you see what they were saying in, in, in chapter 6 under the fifth seal, and this crying out, when are you going to do something? You're getting the picture God is going to do something. Give it some time. His answer is coming. But to his people, there is security. There, there is comfort. There is peace. There's going to be rest. There's the wiping of tears from eyes is God is going to be with his people. He's going to carry them through this sequence of events as it unfolds, as a nation is going to be destroyed and the people of God are still going to be persecuted through all of that. God is not asleep. God's not like he doesn't know what's going on. He's going to be with them. And that's, I think, the beautiful picture there, Charlotte. 
They've been killed for the cause as well. I mean, that's what's what's so described. They, they are experienced. I, I, I would imagine so. Again, the, the idea is to inc- give comfort to what's about to happen. And, and of course, you know, you can you can apply these and go. Of course, we're going to experience comfort and all that. But that's not what what we're zeroing in on. We're zeroing in on there is a great tribulation that is about to be experienced at, at that time. And the Christians are going to be going through it. What's going to happen to them as they go through the Great Tribulation? Well, here's the answer. And the answer is not, well, you will just be physically impervious. That's not the answer. The answer is, though you die, you're before the throne. Though you die, you're still with God. Though you die, you overcome. Though you die, you're comforted. Though you die, you're you're with him. That's the pictures. And that's always what God has, has promised to his people. So there is a piece of hope for us. Is If we believe these things are true of the people of God then, well, how much more do we need to see that for ourselves? Is that I have no reason to fear. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. What can a human do to me? <laughs> I love Hebrews and talking about that. You know, we, 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 we know we have God with us. So what do we have to fear if we've got, if we have God with, with us? Valerie? Just one quick question. How does this differ as to what's going to happen at the resurrection? Well, this isn't talking about that, but I would, I would postulate to you that the outcome would be the same. As being before the throne of God, comforted by God, Every tear wiped away. This is this is a, a terrible answer to say, but chapters twenty one and twenty two <laughs> are a long way away. But if you go read all that, that's giving those visuals of, of what that's going to look like, and you will see similar pictures. Pictures are holding similar there. So, in that sense, a lot of similarity, but. But keep in mind, this is a, a, a focus uh, a, a, upon them. But I think I think it'd be fair to say this: I don't think that God is changing heavenly paradise based on time frames in the world. Like, okay, well, since they died in the first century, they get this cool part of heaven. But everybody else, you know, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be over here. This kind of thing. it's the same. There's a paradise and a comfort of, of, of being with God. And you see that, like in Luke chapter 16, you're pictured as being in paradise, comforted by God in the bosom of Abraham, imagery like that. So I wouldn't go, here's what I'm trying to get at. I wouldn't go here and go, here's what heaven's going to look like. That's not what this is talking about specifically. It's talking specifically about these people who are going to go through the Great Tribulation. I would go other places. But this is an accurate representation of what paradise is. Paradise is not playing tennis and swinging in hammocks. It's being before the throne of God, serving him day and night, hungering and thirsting no more, being in the midst of the lamb who will wipe away every tear from our eye. That's what it looks like. All right. 13 minute break. You only did to yourselves again. 13 minute break and we'll reconvene at 1030 and we will start at chapter eight. But go ahead and bring your questions.